Hey everybody, welcome back to the DevThink podcast with Sean and Mikola. And today we are talking about uh, something that's very relevant to my uh, day-to-day routine the last few weeks and something I've been involved in one way or another for about nine years, and that is interviewing and hiring. So um, I want to talk about how to get hired or why you're not getting hired, uh, things you should be looking for in a company, things that they should, they're looking for in you or that at least I'm looking for in you, and just you know, overall topic and how to improve in, you know, this sort of uh, marketplace because it's it's very complicated and it's very one-sided in that you may give your resume to a thousand places and hear back from three. Why did those 997 reject you? Did they look at it and have a reason? Did they not look at it? Did they hire someone else before they even got a chance to look at yours? You know, did you have an interview? Was it in person? Did they... Uh, never get back to you? Did they just tell you no and not give you a reason? Did they tell you they hired someone else? Did they say to you no because you failed at, you know, this particular, you know, expectation? Um, most of the time, you just know you're left there wondering, you know, why or just assuming that the people are jerks or whatever. So I want to give obviously my limited and biased opinion because it's based on myself and what I look for and what I have reasons I would overlook a resume or dismiss a candidate and but hopefully I, I think that it should be beneficial to everybody because in my case I have been hiring for small companies I started with a startup where I was employee number three in 2009 and that's where I started interviewing and assisting in the hiring process and so as opposed to like a big company which maybe just needs a lot of bodies a startup has very specific needs And if you're good enough for a startup, if you're good enough to get hired at a small, close company, then you're more than good enough to get hired anywhere. So I think that these things will help you. So, uh, Nicola, we didn't really talk about this before we started recording. I just said, hey, let's talk about hiring. And you said, okay. So do you have uh, experience and opinions with this? Are you mostly along for the ride? Now you put me on the pedestal, to be honest. Uh, So I did do a few interviews before. So I have some experience, but I can't say that I have a lot of experience, right? Because I'm not doing this on a daily day basis. Although, who knows, you know, this probably, maybe, hopefully will change. (laughs) So we'll see. Uh, But yeah, I'm interested in the topic, especially because you said, uh, you know, I'm also interested, you know, you get, let's say, you know, I don't know, 20, 10, 100, maybe resumes. How do you, you know, how do you sift through them? How do you actually choose who's getting to the next level or not? So if you can like guide me through your process, how you're actually doing it, uh, I think that will be interesting to our listeners as well. Cool. Well, let me start off with a little bit of background on myself. Um, I have been, my I got my first IT job in 1999. So I've been doing this for a little bit of a while. And I've, I'm at my eighth IT-related job. Of those eight jobs, three times the first place I interviewed hired me. Uh, three times I was poached where I was working somewhere and not specifically looking, and I was approached by a company who then hired me. And two of them, two of those eight jobs, were times when I was looking for a job, interviewed multiple times, 
got rejected multiple times before I finally got a job. And there are stories behind all of those things, but I would say in general, that's probably a pretty good track record to have, you know, three times out of eight was my first interview. As in, I didn't interview with a bunch of places, get rejected from some, and then get accepted. I chose a place, gave my resume, interviewed, got the job, first shot. And three times when people came to me out of the blue saying, hey, we would like to talk to you about coming to work for us. So that's six out of my eight. I think it's pretty good. Um, and yeah, like I said, I've been doing this since 99 and I guess started hiring about 10 years later. And as far as the resumes, I guess um, what I look for and what I don't look for or what I look for to filter you out I have a list of do's and don'ts that I came up with. Uh, one of them is have a custom cover letter and tell me something about yourself. Tell me something about why you're interested in working in my company. Because if all I get is a resume, I know you're sending a resume to a thousand places and you don't care about me. You hope that I call you back because you want a paycheck, but you're not specifically interested in my company over the others. So automatically, you know, a custom cover letter will give you more of my attention. Also, customize the resume a little bit. Like, you don't have to rewrite it for every company, but if you see that the company fits in with your skill set, but maybe you do more things or have experience with a lot of stuff that they don't do, maybe trim some of those out or highlight, put a little more detail about things you've done with the technologies that we specifically use. Because, you know, of course, if someone's hiring for a Python developer and you've done Python, you're going to, that's going to help you, uh, research the company, understand what their product is, where they're located. Um, you know, just maybe what technologies they use, what programming languages they use. If you can find that out, find, go to their website, look at their products. If they have screenshots, just anything to familiarize you with the company. And this is for your own benefit because you really want to work at a place where you're going to want to be for a while. Right. I mean, if you're just saying, look, I just want a job, I'm, you know, working in retail or fast food and I really want to be a programmer because they make more money. Um, you have the wrong attitude and I'm not going to hire you. So, you know, if you actually want to work somewhere that you're going to love working and it's going to be mutually beneficial, because it's very easy to say, I want a job. Here are these companies. What are the hours? What is the salary? okay, I'm interested in this one, this one, this one. You're just shopping for a paycheck. And that is going to come through during the interview process. Uh, also, research the interviewer. If you find out, hey, your recruiter's like, you're going to talk to so-and-so at the company, look them up. Look them up on GitHub, LinkedIn, Stack Overflow, Twitter. Try to find out a little bit more about them. You know, it's a nice touch. Um, I'm not saying you have to kiss their ass or tell them you think they're great, but it's a good idea to kind of know the person you're dealing with. And also, if you find that you're talking to someone technical, you're talking to the CTO or a programmer, that is a good sign. If you find you're only talking to HR people, that might not be a great sign. I mean, it might be the first step regardless, uh, but if you get to the point where you're speaking to someone technical, that's a good sign that this company is a place you want to work for. On your resume and cover letter, you should care about your spelling and your grammar. If you're that lazy that you don't care, then 
I don't want you. And if you are the kind of person who will do something correctly just for the sake of it being correct, like you don't really have to, you could be a little lazy with some things, it's technically correct, but you like to do things in the more correct way just because that is technically the correct way. And even something like using the word whom, like which nobody does, but hypothetically say you found a way to work that into your resume or cover letter. That tells me that you care about being sake, being correct for the sake of being correct. And that's an excellent trait in a programmer. So you're not going to get rejected for not using whom, for using who instead. But, you know, that's the kind of details that the right kind of person might uh, notice. Uh, another is to ask questions. At the end of every interview, and maybe at the beginning if they don't know how much you know about the company, they're going to ask you if you have questions. If you don't have any it's some people see it as a bad sign. I see it uh, as a lack of interest. If you have done the research, like I mentioned earlier, then you will have questions probably, or at least you can come up with a couple of questions, which even though the answers may not be super interesting, you may not expect them to be, although they may end up being interesting. They at least show the interviewer that you've, you have genuine interest in their company and that will go a long way. And the last in my uh, list of do's is taking the programming challenge seriously. Uh, I like giving out a little coding challenge. And you can really see in cases where people just tried to get the job done as quickly as possible, and they didn't really put any uh, thought into it. And even when in the instructions, I specifically say something along the lines of, I am looking for things that I didn't list here specifically to see what your experience level is and end up getting, you know, a range of work. Some of it's kind of shoddy and some of it's pretty decent. So remember, this is like your, this is your entry exam. So take it seriously. And before I move on to the, uh, the next section, I have my don'ts since I've just done the do's. I've talked for a really long time. So Nicola, do you have anything you want to add to that or questions? Exactly. I actually, yeah, I actually wanted to stop you here and say that I definitely agree and I mean agree in a way to say that this is not only good so these do's are not only good for when you're applying to normal quote-unquote proper work right proper companies this can help you immensely in if you're you know freelancing or trying to you know make an extra buck and going on these freelance sites and everybody these days seems to complain that you know there's too much competition this and that but these quote-unquote small things can help you very much so if as you said you have a <laughs> your own cover letter that is specific to a job that you're um, or a task that you are applying to trust me and I talked with <clears throat> quite a lot of people who actually hired on the freelance basis and they when they when I asked okay how did how come I came through because you know there were like 200 people that uh, applied and they said honestly without like without a doubt your cover letter you know and then after that is it was all of my uh, skills that I had all of the exams that I did so uh, this goes a bit um, in a different uh, direction because you know on the freelance sites you can also do um various you know tests and everything that also helps but we're not going to go, go into that so yes definitely i agree with that and also before i would actually say before they ask you hey 
do you have any questions? I would try to somehow, when you of course get to the interview, try to pull this, you know, question inter uh, like when you're talking, you know, so they ask you, hey, you know, have you done this and that? And then you ask, uh, yes, I have. Have you done this and that? Or uh, how are you doing this and that? And that gets the conversation going. And, uh, you know, immediately, at least in my eyes, you are seen in someone who actually practices his um, craft. And of course, we talked about, you know, uh, sharpening the axe and everything. Uh, also, one <clears throat> very good thing. Uh, so when you get to the interview part and when the interviewer says, oh, wait, I know you from somewhere. And that somewhere can be either your, as we talked in the last podcast, I believe, that can be either your blog, either your video courses, either your uh, podcasts, you know. So if already the interviewer knows who you are, you may have already helped them with some of your posts, then I won't say that the deal is done, you know, but that can help you immensely. Meaning, long story short, you as a programmer or, you know, aspiring whatever, uh, should actually get yourself out there because then you distinguish yourself from the, you know, quote unquote pack and that will give you an edge. But yeah, good points, uh, Sean, about when you're actually, you know, just sending the cover letter. Here, I also have to ask you one thing. How do you value or how do you, uh, what are your thoughts about when someone sends you a Stack Overflow link versus no Stack Overflow link or for example, GitHub? Um, I, I don't think I've ever received a Stack Overflow link. I've definitely gotten GitHub links and I like to go to the GitHub and look around and see what projects they've originated. And that is to say, if you have 50 repos on GitHub, but they're all forks of other people's projects, there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't tell me anything about your coding style. So if I can see something that's in a language that I at least feel comfortable reading and know enough about to look at, you know, a few tens of lines and figure out if you're pretty clean with it, that definitely helps for sure. I mean, one thing that I always look for is someone who codes on their own, not for work or school, because that's the one I really want. So based on what the project is, like if the project is clearly, it's a class assignment and it even says it right on there, I am not interested because it's something someone else made you do and it's entirely possible it's something you did in collaboration with others. I want to know something that you did for your own hobby. I don't care if it's something you did to keep track of your barbecuing schedule or your personal beer making or your Magic the Gathering card set or your World of Warcraft weapon inventory, you know, whatever. Even if it's something I have no interest in, the fact that you took the time out of your life to code in, on your own time because it's something you're passionate about is the main thing that I'm trying to find out overall. Exactly. I couldn't agree more because, you know, <laughs> at the end, as you said, uh, if someone is here just for the money, then honestly, he's here for the wrong reasons. Because honestly, is this person actually, has this person asked himself, hey, will I be able to do this for next 40 or whatever years? Probably not. I would be harsh and say N no way. Because if you don't like, not even like, if you don't love this and how how can you love this? How do you know? Well, you know that if you come home 
and with all your schedule that you have, you may have a family and everything, you carve out, you know, some time that you either read what's new in terms of, you know, newsletters and whatever, whatever field you're into, right? So that you keep the pace, keep up with the unbelievable pace these days, right? Or even like, you know, code something that you're really interested in. So yeah, yeah, that that is, that for me, honestly, would be a very uh, strong point. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I could, yeah. if I knew people were going to be 100% honest, I could just in the interview say, hey, do you love coding? And even if you had to drive a truck or be a farmer for the rest of your life, would you still write code on your own time for pleasure and continue to learn and improve? And they would say, yes. Then I could say, okay, you're hired. You know, let's, you know, can you start Monday? But unfortunately you have to ask them a lot of questions to try to figure that out. And actually you made a good point about that, about in the process of being asked questions, if you ask the interviewer questions to show that you're interested or to show that you're knowledgeable about the topic they just asked you about a little more broadly than just your narrow answer. Not only is that great in general conversationally, but my job as an interviewer is to talk to you, try to figure out who you are as a person. Are you a good culture fit? Which is very important, which I don't even know if I'm going to go too much into because it's probably going to be a long enough episode as it is, but are you the right kind of person like as a programmer? And I have to try to figure out what questions to ask you to pull that answer out of you. Are you here for the right reasons? And if you can just feed me the information I need to know in your answers or by asking me questions, you're just making my job easier, which is going to make you more likely to get in. So, you know, by all means, ask questions. Yes. Show, show that you're engaged. Exactly, exactly. Uh and so this just came to mind. So for example, let, let's say that this company that you're interviewing for is using, you know, Angular, but you have some experience with Angular, but you are totally sold on the fact that React is way better, right? And you can then go in and talk to the interviewer and tell him, you know, you're, uh, you maybe wrote blog posts about it and it's better for in this case, in that case and everything. And you get this freaking uh, conversation going. And if the interviewer is also, you know, in it for the craft and not for the money, I promise you, you will have an awesome conversation. You will actually go over the time a lot at, you will just have fun, honestly. <laughs> and oh, by the way, one, one question, or are you going to mention that in the don'ts? Uh, because you mentioned the cultural fit and something that it seems like always comes up is that sometimes you can find awesome programmers, right? Awesome architects, but they tend to be plainly set freaking assholes. How do you find out that before they come to the work and they get this negative emotion and everything going on for themselves, which inevitably then, you know, pisses off the rest of the team, which by that time, if you know, the company is existing for some time, then the cultural fit is, I mean, the culture in the company is as it is. And, you know, if you bring someone in that's, awesome but cocky and uh you know a bad person in general how do you how do you basically not hire that kind of a person um i don't i wish i had an answer for that i can say that in my history of interviewing i really have only been fooled once 
everyone else that has been hired. And I've never hired anyone by myself. I never gotten the resume, done a phone screen, brought them in, made them an offer and had them start all by myself. I usually had, you know, there were probably three or four or five other people involved at some point in the process. So in general, we get a feel for that. Um, and the one guy that did have to go was someone who was very young. It was his first programming job. He was eager. He was, you know, interested in all the right things. And the only problem we really had with him, he wasn't just like a, a straight, you know, incompatible person in general. But when it came to the code he would write, when he would make mistakes or do things that more experienced programmers, like uh, a coworker, his manager, and I, who was his manager's manager, uh, told him based on our combined, you know, 20 something years of experience versus his like six months of experience that he was doing something wrong and should do it differently. And here's why he would fight back and disagree, which I mean, it to some extent, you don't just like someone tells you something, you just don't always accept it. But when you have two different people with from completely different backgrounds, but with long experience telling you the same general things, that's a problem. And on top of that, he ended up often writing code that had problems, no surprise there, and was put on a performance plan by the CTO, which is an evaluation period during which you got to get your stuff together. And then he failed to do so. And then he was eventually fired. But that was the only person that I, I think there was a, a strong personality conflict that I was ever involved in hiring. So I don't know, but the people, if you have good people, you're going to interview someone, you're going to get back together with them later and say, Hey, what'd you think of this guy? And someone will usually say, I don't know. He didn't really feel like a good fit or seemed smart, but he seemed kind of uh, rude or whatever. So yeah, I mean the culture fit, that's going to have to be your gut. I don't know of any science or any kind of, Hey, ask them these three questions or whatever. So uh, onto the don'ts, just to try to keep this from being like an hour long podcast, which it may end up being, uh, uh, don't list everything you've ever heard of on your resume. I have looked at so many resumes where they list, you know, every programming language from assembly on up through Rust. They list every framework for every language, every database, like every JavaScript framework, just every everything. And you and I both know that you do not know most of that stuff, even you know, at a superficial level, don't put it all on there. That only tells me one thing that is you want a paycheck. Why? Because you know that people search for resumes based on keywords and you want to have every keyword in your resume. So if you have 10% of those things on there, I'm going to assume, you know, those things. <clears throat> and if I see something on your resume that I know, and I know, just to be a little bit immodest for a second, I know a lot of stuff. I've been doing this for a long time. I don't know a million times more than I do know, but the things that I know, I know pretty well. So if you show up with a bunch of stuff on your resume, and three or four of those things are things that I know fairly deeply, I am going to ask you harder questions about those than I normally would, and about 100% of the time, those people fail to answer the question in a way that lets me know they actually know what they're talking about, which tells me that all the other stuff on the resume is probably bullshit too. So don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. Okay. 
uh, don't have a super long resume. I don't care if you've been doing this for 30 years, that's fine, but you don't need to have a mini novel about every job that you've been on. I like, I'm a very technological person, obviously, but I like to print out paper resumes. I like to get away from my desk, go down to the cafeteria or go to another place and sit with a pen in my hand, underline, write notes, make comments about things I want to bring up when I speak to you. And if I have a stack of resumes and everyone's is like one or two pages and yours is like nine sheets of paper, uh, it's kind of a pain. And it's not really helping you. I mean, you don't really think that an even two-page front and back uh, sheet of paper that pe most people are reading every word on it, do you? Because they're not. They're skimming. They're looking for keywords. They're looking for how long you were at different companies to make sure that you, you know, don't change jobs every six months. They're maybe glancing at the education, you know, the programming languages, maybe looking for an address to see what state you live in to see if maybe you're a candidate for being local versus remote. You know, you don't, I don't need nine pieces of paper. So just saying, uh, don't list things on your resume that you were somehow tangentially associated with, but didn't actually do yourself. And a couple quick examples from recent stuff, recent interviews I've done. I had someone who talked about a hackathon they participated in. And I asked multiple questions about, you know, how it was built. And he didn't really know the answers to the questions I was asking. And so finally, I had to just ask him, like, what did you do? Because he told me, hey, I went to a hackathon in my group. I came up with the idea. That's the idea we ended up doing. We took first prize. Wow, that's a great story. I love that. That sounds really exciting. Tell me about it. You know, what was the front end written in? He wasn't sure. What was the back end written in? He wasn't sure. What did you do? Well, he came up with the idea and he made the slides. So, okay, but don't put that on your resume and don't bring that up when I ask you about a recent project that you worked on that wasn't for, you know, home or school. Or I guess similar thing with like a school assignment, anything where you were in a group and, or you say you went work for a company and yeah, yeah, my department, you know, implemented this software or we wrote a system for blah, blah, blah. What did you do for it? If the thing you're going to tell me isn't that you were, you designed it or you wrote half of it or something, don't put it on your resume because I'm going to ask you questions about it. You're not going to be able to answer them and you're immediately going to lose credibility with me. Okay. Uh, a pet peeve of mine is that generic objective. A lot of people have at the top of their resume objective to utilize my skills at a forward thinking technology company. Immediately. I think this is your first job. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know what you want. Um, and if it is your first job, that's fine. I mean, I'll overlook it, but if it's like your fourth or fifth job, you should know what you want by now. And it kind of goes back a little bit to listing every single technology you've ever even seen on a title of a book before. What are you interested in? I understand most of us know many languages. Most of us have worked with multiple databases in different environments and frameworks and operating systems. That's great. But at this point, you must have preferences. You know, you don't want to work with your third favorite language. Maybe you shouldn't be wasting your time with me. Tell me what your first favorite language is, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it just really feels like you're just grasping for a paycheck. And it, like all this stuff comes back to either you're in this for the right reasons or you're in this because you just want a paycheck. And there are plenty of jobs where you can do if you just want a paycheck. Um, programming should not be one of them because it's a lifelong skill that you nurture and grow and learn in. I don't want anyone who has learned a certain amount 
which is good enough to get a job, and then thinks they're going to work until they retire on those skills. That's just not going to help anyone. Um, super pet peeve, and this may be very picky. Nicola, you may laugh at me. I don't know. Do not use the word utilize on your resume. I hate that, especially when you use it six times. I don't care that you utilized this database and utilized this technology and utilized containers. Just put used, you know, or whatever. But you're trying to sound like something. No one ever uses the word utilize in real life. Okay? Never heard it. Um, if you do ask questions, don't only ask questions about benefits. Don't ask just questions about vacation days and do we get bonuses and stuff like that. Those are fine questions to ask. But if those are the only questions you're asking me, again, you're talking to me for the wrong reasons. Don't lie about why you left the job. If you got laid off, say you got laid off. I've been laid off multiple times. And, you know, there may or may not have been good reasons behind them. I may have been partially at fault in some cases. In other cases, it may have been company restructuring and things like that. But, you know, if you lie and you're found out, that's way worse. And I had a person who lied about it. And then after the in-person meeting with me, felt so bad about it that he called me on the phone later that day to tell me the truth about it. And it did not hurt his chances. Um, so because, you know, he, the fact that he didn't have to tell me and did uh, kind of made up for the fact that he lied in that case. And um, don't ask for a crazy salary and don't let your recruiter ask for a, a crazy salary because there is in every company, if there are developers, they're making some salary. There is a set number there. When I interview you, I'm going to look at where you fit within that group. And if you are a little bit less than my top guys, but you're asking for 25,000 more than they're making, I'm not even going to, you know, answer your resume. Now you may have been reaching and you may have been willing to accept less, you know, don't put a price or, you know, put a more reasonable price. I mean, Salaries are a whole big separate issue, salary negotiations and figuring out what you're worth and whether a company should ask you what you're making. I mean, the stereotype is a company will ask you what you're making, and then when they know, they'll offer you five or 10000 more than that because they figure it's an increase for you, and it's the cheapest way they can get you. And I think that's wrong, and that's not what I, I like to do or do. But, you know, at the same time, I see some people that are looking for you know, $80,000 and $90,000 and $125,000. And then you get resumes for 150, 180, 250 with people with the same general skill sets. And it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and my last, uh, sections, actually, it's not my last section. I have a bit more. So I'll take another pause for water and let Nicola ask all the questions he's been writing down. Yeah. So, uh, do you, or how, how often do you get the question of uh, the Joel test? Um, I would say I don't think I've ever gotten it. And I do know what you're talking about. Interesting. Yeah, sure. So the 12 questions, right? Uh, okay, interesting. This, uh, the second part, because it was very interesting to me to hear that from you. I mean, from basically anybody who's hiring was that you said... Um, you basically said how it's done. They ask you, hey, how much do you earn? You say a certain number and then they go, you know, 
a bit more just for the same reasons as you said but then you said i don't like to do that so i'm really curious how do you do it um well between the programming challenge and the interviews we do try to place people mentally among our existing people yeah sure so uh, i mean basically what i was um so i was i wanted to know if you basically do ask them what they want or how how much they were making before or not no i haven't been asking that at all recently actually so quick bit about uh some red flags things that i see on the resume and i go oh okay i don't want to talk to this person uh job hopping there are legitimate reasons why you may have changed jobs once a year for the last three years um there are, maybe you're a consultant and that's the case i i will not disqualify you for that but i will ask you and i will hope that the answer will you know be legitimate um if you say if your resume is your name space java developer or python developer um you may be a developer who loves java as your favorite language or python as your favorite language but if you identify yourself as just that one thing and all i see on your resume is only that one thing that tells me that you're not interested in learning because there are always new languages and new things that come along. And if I see that the only thing, the only languages and technologies you've ever used are the ones that your employer uses, I am not interested in you. Um, I don't care if your company is a Java company and your, if your entire resume is J2EE and Eclipse and Spring and Hibernate, I'm not going to call you because why didn't you experiment with Python or Ruby? Why aren't you playing with Go or Rust? You know, that tells me you're not a programmer. Uh, if your entire stack on your resume is 100% Microsoft, the only thing you've ever used is ASP and .NET and Microsoft SQL Server and Windows Server and IIS. There's no open source. There's no anything else on there. Again, that tells me that you're not really interested in the craft. You got a job in an ecosystem you're comfortable with, and that's what you want to do. And that's fine. There's plenty of work for you Java developers and Microsoft developers. Plenty of it. Just not at my company. Um, so to kind of wrap that up. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. I just want to, you know, jump in and say, so you said .NET, for example, right? Uh, it's okay. Okay-ish, I would actually say. If a certain dev in .NET is growing as the platform is improving, right? Meaning, so he was uh, coding in uh, .NET 1.0, 2.0, blah, 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 blah. But if he's still doing the 2.0 .NET, right? And did not even bother to even learn about the newest stuff, then that, that will be like the immediate showstopper for me, like immediately, you know? Because uh, from the perspective of us being a .NET uh, shop, acquiring a new .NET guy, from that perspective, with everything else, of course, I agree because because of everything that you said. Yes, yeah. If you're a .NET guy and you want to work for a .NET shop, then great. But the companies that I've worked for have very heavily relied on open source and really enjoyed open source and the culture and the community around it. And when you have never had any interest in that, again, there's plenty of places for you. And I'm not saying you're a bad person. You're just not a good fit for the type of companies that 
I prefer to work for and that I have had the opportunity to hire for. And the last two red flags are not knowing something super basic, having a buzzword on your resume, and then I ask you a super basic thing about that technology, and you don't know. And one example would be, say you're really interested in machine learning and distributed computing and how you worked on some distributed computing project and you don't know what the raft protocol is. Most people hearing this won't know what that is, but everything today, you know, the raft protocol is kind of the, a real big deal. It's used in everything from, you know, SED that's used by Kubernetes and it's replaced Paxos. Like if I ask you about what's the raft protocol or the Paxos and you don't know, um, you know, that's kind of, or, you know, the cap theorem, if I mention the cap theorem and you don't know what it is, then don't put distributed computing on your resume. You might have gotten the job if you didn't put it on your resume, but then you did, and then I asked the question and you didn't know, then I know you're a bullshitter. So that's going to be a problem. Quickly, here's some really here's some green flags. I don't know if that's a thing, but I just made it up, as opposed to red flags. Uh, if you show interest in self-improvement, that means you show me that you participated in contests, you do side projects, stuff like that. If you've been self-taught in anything that you have not used at any job, that is a great sign. It means you're into this thing. If you use Linux on the desktop, um, people who use a Mac, that's pretty much the standard. If you use Linux, that's even a step further. Or you even have used Linux. And, and I'm, I know that most people use Windows for gaming and things like that. I'm not talking about if you touch Windows, you're a bad developer. Some good questions to ask. Ask about the tenure of the rest of the team. Like, how many people are on the team? How long have they been there? If everyone's been there for six months, it might be a red flag for you. If you've got people that have been there for, you know, four, five, six years or more, that could be a good sign. It could also be, you know, a bad group dynamic. You could have one guy that's been there since the beginning of the company who's kind of a jerk, but he knows everything, so they can't fire him, and you're going to come in and have to deal with him. So, you know, no rule is perfect, but there you go. You can ask how they how they plan and... Uh, execute their tickets? Do they use a scrum system? Do they use Kanban? That sort of thing. If that planning is then respected by management, because they may say, oh yes, we do this system, but it turns out that on Wednesday, you know, the head of the some product says, hey, we need this feature tomorrow. Well, it's not in the sprint. Well, we need it. You know, do you have to deal with that junk? Um, how is new technology brought in? Uh, if, you, if you say, hey, what do you use? And they're like, oh, we use Python and Django. Why? Well, because it's what we've always used. Okay, that would not thrill me. If they said, we use Python and Django, why? Oh, because we used to use PHP and then one of the developers did a side project on a weekend and brought it in and presented it to the development team and we said, hey, why don't we do the next backend in Django and see how that works? That's a great reason. Uh, how is technical debt handled? Um, technical debt is a whole other topic and if they can't really give you a good answer to that. Like, oh yeah, they allow us to take a little extra time on a sprint to clean up things along the way, or we're going to take a week, you know, a week every six months and work on it or whatever the case may be. If the answer is, well, we really don't have time for that because we just have too much to do. They're setting themselves up for failure and maybe you don't want to be there. Um, the technology stack they use, because you don't want to do something you hate. Like, I don't care if you like Ruby or Python uh, I think a lot of people like, I use Ruby and Python as an example here, or even Go and Rust would be another, because in my experience, between Python and Ruby, or Go and Rust, you can find tons of people that love them, but very few people seem to like both. It's like you're a Ruby guy or a Python guy, or you're a Rust guy or a Go guy. So, Or a PHP guy. <laughs> no, I'm talking about programmers here. So if 
you know, you really love the one and you know the other well enough to get by, but you know, are you really going to be your happiest there? Maybe you should, this is, this isn't the last job on the planet. You know, maybe you'll find something better. And also very important is does the company sponsor training or conferences? If you, will they buy you, will they pay you for a book or reimburse you for a book you buy on Amazon? Well, do they, is there a company account to some kind of online learning center or online, you know, book thing like, um, Coursera or like O'Reilly, um, Safari bookshelf or whatever. Do they have a company account that they pay for that they want their people to grow? If they're not interested in helping you develop, then they may not be the right place for the right kind of person that I'm describing in this podcast in general. And, um, I guess the last little bit, I'll just throw in this last little bit without giving Nicola a chance to talk. Cause it's kind of follows in the same, uh, vein, which is uh, employers to avoid. So I have a, everything I've been saying is for the companies that I work for because I have very high standards because I work for a really awesome place and I want to keep it that way. And places are made out of people. And if the people are bad, the place is bad. So if you see a company that's hiring for a full stack developer, to me, that's a giant red flag. They're being cheap. Nobody is really great at databases and front end and back end and whatever else is needed. If they want, they want to just pay one salary to have someone do all of that, then you're probably not going to be happy in other ways there either. Um, if the pr- interview process goes suspiciously well, like they answer, ask you a few questions and don't really vet you very well and make you an offer, it may be the kind of place that's like a revolving door. There are people that are always quitting and they just need to keep 20 people on the team. So every time a few people quit, they hire a few more. I would you know, just be a little suspicious about that. Like I said, ask questions about tenure and things. If your interviewers are not developers or none of them are developers, that's a suspicious sign. And, you know, kind of repeating, but the turnover is when they're hiring, you say, hey, hey, you know, how did this position open up? Did someone leave? Are you growing the team or expanding, whatever? Because if someone quit, People quit all the time. People quit the best companies. People who quit at this company where I am. There may be a good reason, maybe a bad reason. It may be the company's fault. It may not. So if someone quit, don't take that as a no, that you don't want to work there, but try to find out what you can. And I think that's uh, way more than enough of my ramblings on this. Awesome. Uh, We've really done a number on this one again. (laughs) Well, anyways, but it was, I believe it was definitely useful because it's not, you know, uh, I guess that, you know, when you have someone who's in the any field for a certain amount of years and he tells you he distills what he learned in, let's say, okay, under an hour, we promise we will finish now, (laughs) under an hour, that's, I would say, beneficial, right? Yeah, let's hope. Definitely. All right. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Send us feedback and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the DevThink podcast. To reach us for comments, show suggestions, and other feedback, contact us at info at DevThink. That's D-E-V-T-H dot I-N-K. Our intro music is by Rupa Deadweiler. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. 